Well, it is such a honor, such a privilege to be with you this weekend at Valley Creek. I love deeply your pastor, and uh, when he says that we are friends, we really are, and it's a friendship that has benefited me. Uh, as we get together, we'll have lunch, or we'll text one another, or call one another. Uh, your pastor is someone I deeply respect, not only for just his walk with God, and uh, his wife Colleen, and his family, but really, I believe he is such a blessing to the body of Christ as a great, wise, spiritual leader that has led you so well. And I've been a part of your journey and uh, just respect watching what, not only what God has done again through your pastor, and it takes a, a good pastor to have a great church, but that's not the only component. And you have one, but I want to honor you because I remember when your pastor took over as the lead pastor, and I remember all of those early days and seeing that. I actually came here before all of these new things that you've done as a church. I remember as you were building out your first missional move at the Flower Mound campus and then watching you add campuses. I want to welcome those campuses, Denton, and then watching what you've done in Louisville and your Next Step Center and all the things that God has has done, Buffalo, New York. Can we put our hands together and welcome all of those campuses that are joining us? And I, I just want to encourage you for being faithful people. And one of the reasons that I have such a connection with Valley Creek is we share some similarities uh, about the kingdom of God and about church, that church is not just about services and it's not just about buildings and music, it's about people. It's about family, and it's about walking together and taking next steps. And so thank you for being good stewards of what God's doing here. And uh, all of you, I just celebrate you and, and just encourage you, don't mess it up. Come on now, don't mess it up, all right? God's doing something awesome, come on now. And uh, so I love you. I'm so honored to be with you and to join in with your back porch conversation that you're having this summer. And in this back porch conversation, I want to talk to you uh, like you and I were having coffee on the back porch. And I want to talk about a question that I've really been studying and evaluating over the last couple of years. And it's a, it's a question that as a dad and as a pastor and as a friend and walking with people, it's a question that I find that comes up in my life and I find it's a question that comes up in a lot of other people's lives, and that's the question, who am I in a broad sense? And so I've been studying this idea and sharing about it. In our church, we went on a journey to discover more of who God's created us to be, to discover that person that he's really called us and created us to be, and to really look at some of the barriers and some of the things that could stop us from really living out and stewarding the life that he has for us, and so this question, who am I, is one that comes up all the time. It comes up in our minds. Now, we don't, we don't always cognitively and practically know we're asking it, but it's bubbling up, especially when you hit transitional seasons. How many of you at the campuses are right here with me would say, I'm in a transition right now. I know we're about to hit a transition to the school year. Maybe you changed jobs. Maybe you got some kids at a different place. And, and I know that, that, again, none of you deal with this, but I do. I, I, I have a little bit of a challenge with transition because I, I kind of like things like I like things. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, 
I kind of like to know the plan. I, I don't really like unexpected turns along the way, but I find that God has a plan sometimes, and sometimes what he's doing, it takes a little different turn. And so what happens is then we have some feelings and we have some, some different things going on in our soul, and we start asking now, I, I kind of knew who I was here but I'm not real sure who I am now in relationship to how this teenager is acting. I don't know related to now how my boss is acting, how my spouse is now that, oh, wait a minute. And so we start asking the who am I question. It's an important question, by the way, and it's very important how you answer it can affect your life in a great way. Now, I looked at it in a lot of different ways. You know, who am I when I feel alone? And who am I with my failures? And who am I when I'm pretending because we have a tendency to pretend? I, I looked at it in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. And I don't have time to show you all that I've been having a conversation about. But I wanted to hone in on a starting place that I think if you can get past this barrier, it can move you to a better understanding of who God's really called you to be. And that is, I'd like us to look at who am I this weekend, back porch conversation, all our campuses, and that is, who am I when I feel insecure? If you have your Bibles, go with me to the Old Testament this weekend. We're going to look at a very familiar character, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 10 and a few other verses there along in chapter 3. Then we're going to skip a little bit and jump over to Exodus 4.10. It's going to take me just a minute to get there because I want to set it up. I don't think you'll really receive from this familiar and powerful character unless we take a little bit of time to think about this insecurity thing and how it affects us. As your pastor said, I pastor Milestone Church. I'm so honored and privileged to steward such a phenomenal group of people, and yet being the pastor of Milestone Church has not caused as much insecurity as being a husband and being a dad along the way. I want to show you my family, just a little bit about me right here. I tell you, I'm so so just privileged to be a part of this group, and they have created some of my greatest blessings, and they've also, being responsible to be a part of stewarding this group has really challenged me and my soul more than anything else, and uh, we're making it. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're navigating, and we're going along the way. This is my oldest, Hannah Grace, right here. She just graduated from high school. She's headed to Baylor University in the fall. That's Jerusalem on the Brazos, in case you guys don't know that. <laughs> And uh, here at Valley Creek, one recommendation would be limit the number of Aggies in this church. If you allow too many A&M Aggies, it will distort the vision. It will hurt the vision. But Jerusalem on the Brazos, God's power rests there. Hallelujah. But anyway, that's a different message. That's where I graduated in 1996. But anyway, there's my, old, uh, my, my 17-year-old son, my oldest daughter, my 17-year-old uh, full-grown full man-child right there, 17. He'll be a senior. My 13-year-old daughter, Lauren Elizabeth, she's in Kenya right now working in an orphanage. And this is my little one right here, Lainey Kate. Her name means bright light. She's my bright light and my wife and partner of over 20-plus years, be 23 years this year. I, I tell you about insecurity. Yeah, yeah, give them a round. It's, it, it's awesome. But, and I did say I have them from 18 to 7. Somebody say, pray for him, Lord. Now, y'all know what I'm saying. 
But my seven-year-old there, Lainey Kate, the other day, she made me feel a little insecure. We were driving down the road. She said one thing that made me feel really powerful. Out of nowhere, she just said, Daddy, I love you. I thought, what do you want for Christmas, baby doll? You know, and it was awesome. You know, I felt good about that. But I thought I might test her a little bit because I've been thinking on insecurity. And I said, you know, Lainey, you love me, but one day you'll leave me. Daddy, I'll never leave you. I said, oh, you will. There'll be a big hairy leg boy come along. I won't be into him that much. Really won't like him that much, to be honest. And, uh, you know, you'll bring him along and then, you know, you're going to leave me. And she was just a little bit of silence. And after a little while, she said, you know what, Daddy, I got an idea. I'll get the boy, but I won't, I won't leave you. I'll just bring him and we'll all move in with you. I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not going to work. My oldest daughter, and by the way, talk about insecurity. Some of you have been there. Some of you have not been there yet. Some of you young folks, let me just tell you, my oldest two recently, they just started driving. Talk about insecurity. I'm talking about insecurity and fear. Let me tell you, when your oldest kids, when they drive away in a real motorized vehicle by themselves, they drove off. And so I've become my dad. I stand on the front porch, you know, and I'm walking, pacing. My oldest the other day, Hannah Grace, she drove off. She drives off, you know, and then I'm waiting for her to come back. I had my shirt off. Don't picture it. <laughs> and I'm just kind of walking along there, you know, waiting. And she pulls up out there and I notice she's missing her right front hubcap. She's bebopping up the sidewalk. I'm like, Hannah Grace, where's your hubcap? She, she, you would think she would have an intelligent answer to such a simple question, but she made me feel real, real insecure when she responded with, what's a hubcap? <laughs> oh my gosh, I got to send you off to college. I know we're having a little bit of fun, but I could bring you into some of our painful ups and downs in our journey as we journey through life. Here's something that I've understood walking as a husband, as a dad, and even in my own life. You know, I believe in our culture today, insecurity's always been present, but some of the unique things about our environment is actually creating more insecurity in us. Some of the things we're facing, I believe it's at a heightened level because insecurity has a good friend that puts like a defibrillator on some other things and this good friend is called fear. And insecurity and fear start coupling up together and create a little bit of a cocktail that can then create anxiety. Some of you have had an undue amount of anxiety and some pressures going on and then we see depression rising. We see it in our culture. We see it in Hollywood. There's a little something that we're seeing in young people. There's this this underlying tension that's in the soul that I think is around this who am I question. And I don't think we can completely solve it in just our few minutes together. But I'd like, because I believe it touches all of us, I'd like us to think about it a little bit. I'd like us to ask this who am I question. Who am I when I feel insecure? It's a safe place this weekend at Valley Creek to think about it for a little bit. We, we don't really want to talk about it. You're not going to go after this weekend and, you know, you show up at work and there you are, you know, you're kind of in the break room. Somebody says, what'd you do this weekend? You know, well, restaurant, you did this with the kids, went with the family. No, you're going to go, well, I, I kind of spent the weekend kind of thinking about who I am. <laughs> I kind of started thinking about my insecurities. <laughs> oh, all right. Cool, dude. <laughs> cool. Well, but we don't really want to admit it, but it's bubbling in there. This insecurity question that we're dealing with. Moms have a reason to feel insecure. 
And I want to tell you, moms today, I mean, again, I'm not believing that this, this, every one of you fit even what might, some might call the traditional view of that. You know, moms kind of have this role, the mom role, but then a lot of moms, you have a professional role. And so then you're trying to balance attention and, and moms get stuff done. And moms are gifted, and so mom's kind of carrying some of this over here and not knowing if she's providing here, and sometimes in both environments, she constantly is feeling the pressure of whether she's measuring up in all areas. And in our world today, because we live in a world that's viewed from the outside, you got to take care of all these duties and these duties, and you got to raise prodigy kids, and you got to have all the perfect things and the recitals and the select baseball team, and then you got to have that perfect blueberry tart with an Instagram photo with a hue of light shining on it right there for everybody to see. And it's pressure, and it creates insecurity, and there's some fear attached to it. And dads have insecurities. Dads have fears today. Dads have, I got to hit the number. I got to hit all my bucket list items. I got to show up for this, and so I have all of this. And then you come in a church like this where you hear your pastor say, and we want you to step up and steward in the home. We want you to step up. We want you to learn some of the spiritual stuff. We want you to learn some of the worship stuff, some of the Bible stuff. And you come in and you're like, man, I kind of like the atmosphere and I'm feeling something that I've never felt before and I really want that because I care about those people, but I don't know how to do that. I don't even know where to start with that. And so you just start feeling a little bit insecure and you move towards what you feel successful at. Young adults have a lot of pressure today and insecurity. It's like, I need to be here by now. I should have accomplished this by now. I have the pressure to believe I should be where it took so many other people 20 years to be, but because of today's world that puts the pressure on you away from being faithful, more toward being famous, then you got to be famous instead of faithful, and you got to solve all the world's problems and put an end to global hunger and solve the water crisis and do all of that by 25. And by the way, I've been a bridesmaid 15 times. When's my moment? Come on now, let's get real. Who am I? And why am I dealing with insecurity? Youth have insecurities. I gathered in our area, I gathered some of the youth, some of the high school students at our local high school, gathered them up, put them in the library, put them around the table. And I started with one question, tell me about your pressures. Tell me about your insecurities. Tell me about your fears. See, they're living in a different world. Seventh grade is different today. When we went to seventh grade, there were still mean girls in seventh grade. Seventh grade girls need to get saved. Can I have a better amen? (laughs) They're just mean, you know what I'm saying? But when we grew up, you went to school, you left the mean people, you went back to your bedroom, you had a little detox time, you you went out and played. Your parents came up, I'm bored, good, play with a stick. And your brain got kind of recalibrated, but now all those mean people come in your bedroom all night long. And so young people are carrying pressure. And you know what? By 15 minutes into the conversation, I was emotional and crying with them, listening to their pressures at home, listening to their pressures at school, listening to their insecurities and fears, and really sitting there kind of treading water, feeling like they have no help to know how to deal with it. I started listening to them, and I started feeling really emotional and really pastoral toward trying to help this. Did you know we got to help this next generation? We got to help them answer the identity questions. We got to help them answer the who am I questions. We got to help them deal with the insecurities. And some of you are like, I'm past all that. I got all my kids past driving. They're all out. They're off the payroll. Come on now. Some of you are like, I want them off the payroll. You're an empty nester. Did you know empty nesters have insecurities? 
you're like, man, I conquered the who am I thing in my 20s. I had my identity solid in my 40s. Why am I feeling insecure now as an empty nester? And you're like, man, because I don't know who I am. I, I, I had this thought, your legacy actually, because you're having legacy questions. Your legacy is your identity in reverse. It's like, how am I pouring into and investing in the things that really matter? And so empty nesters have all of that. You're like, Jeff, okay, we're there. I get you. That's where I'm at. Can you tell me what the Bible has to say? Well, I got some good news for you. As I spent several years here looking at this, there's a lot of people in the Bible asking the who am I questions. David's like, who am I that you're mindful of me? Peter, Jesus asked him a who am I question. Who am I? Then he said, you're the Christ. And then Jesus told him who he was. Did you know the more you understand who Jesus is, then you understand more who you are? And there's a whole lot of characters that had the questions, and aren't you glad we don't have a sanitized version of the Bible? We have the real deal here with the real people. But I'm going to go to the famous character, most of you know him, Moses, right here in Exodus. Because he has an insecure, transparent, out in the open conversation with God where it's real and raw. You may know him, most of you know him, lots of movies about him, let my people go, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so we, we, got, we got a little bit about this guy. But you may not know him, so I want to I key in with all of you who may not know him, really... His Egyptian name means son. His Hebrew name means drawn from the waters. If he had a Wikipedia page, the banner over his life would be chosen. It's amazing. And guess what? We're chosen. And yet with being chosen by God in a sovereign way, I'm going to show you how he still struggled with some of these basic questions. And so he did. By, by the way, he was chosen. His mom put him in the Nile River to protect him because baby boys at that time were in danger. And yet the most powerful person in the land, the king, the Pharaoh, his daughter, goes and rescues him, pulls him into the palace. He's raised with privilege. And as he's in that place, he starts recognizing that his people are being abused and he has a very challenging moment where he kills an Egyptian and then he buries him in the sand. He's not living the best version of him. He's not answering the who am I question properly at that moment. And after he failed, like a lot of you do, when you fail and you don't know who you are in God, he does what all of us do. He ran. He ran for years into the desert. And what I'm about to read to you is a big moment. The theological word is a theophany. A theophany is a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. There's literally a bush that doesn't burn up and it's on fire. And it's Jesus appearing to call him into his destiny. Let me give you something else encouraging. He'd been wandering all these years. At this moment, he's 80. I want to tell you something I love about God. The devil will never tell you this. You're the right age. It's your moment. It's your time. You'll never be with, with the devil. You're always too young. Oh, you're too young. You're too young. You're too young. Sit down. Shut up. Go eat some pizza. Do something else. And then you get over here at one point and he goes, you're too old. Well, when was I the perfect time? And I'm going to tell you what I love about God. One of our banners in our children's church is, you don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great kid. So I believe you can do something great for God. I started preaching at 16, and I was a senior pastor at 21 years old. I didn't say I was a good one. I said I was one because God will use young people and willing people in an amazing way. He'll use young people, but let me encourage some of you here. He's 80 years old. It's never too late. It's never too late for God to use you. So Moses at 80 years old in a big moment, look what it says. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Look at this. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, look at the question. Who am I 
The identity question, the insecurity question, the evaluation question of my past failures and my history and not knowing that I was chosen, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I'll be with you. Can I give you a cliff notes on the Bible real quick? The Bible over and over says, fear not. If you deal with fear, anxiety, depression, worry, all of that, over and over, fear not. And then over and over, God's always saying, I'm with you. That's the game changer. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't know. I'm with you. I'm with you. The more disconnected you are from God, the more you'll struggle with your identity. He says, I'm with you. And look at this. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, he's not convinced. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am. Look, God's real insecure. I am who I am. God says, this is what you tell them. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then if you haven't spent a lot of time in this text, the whole next section is a big argument with God. I don't know if you've ever had those with God, but this, what about that? My boss, this kid. I I need to give you all these scenarios that you're not evaluating God. I need to make sure you're on the same page. Comes back down here at Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, and I'm slow of speech and tongue. Do you ever laugh out loud at the Bible? The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? God's like, I made your mouth. I made you like that. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then God comes back to like he does with us. So now go. I know you're insecure. Take your next step. Go. Now go. I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. And then Moses said to God what I've said to God a lot of times. Pardon your servant, Lord. Can you please get somebody else? You're looking at me, you're like, wow, you're this pastor of this church, and you said you were a pastor at 21, you know, you probably just float around like an angel, just hallelujah, you know, you never have any fears or insecurities. Man, I have them on a consistent basis, but I have a history with God. You know, I wake up sometimes with fears. I wake up with some anxieties. I, 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 I just like you, have a lot of reasons to have different things that are coming and wonder. And I, even after I've seen God be so faithful, he's faithful, I want you to know that. I still, because I'm, I'm, I'm wired a little bit where I'm intuitive, and I was that way as a kid, by the way. I had, to, I had to learn some of the things I'm teaching you. I had to learn how to build a history with God. I had to learn how to anchor myself to some of the things I'm gonna share with you in our last few moments. Because even as a child, I would have all these scenarios, and I was a little bit ADD, and I was a little bit, you know, a little rascally kid. By the way, if your kid's a little, kind of a little bit, you know, out there and has a little bit of big imagination, give them a break. They may do something great for God one day, okay, all right? But, but, but I was that way, and I'll never forget, my dad was a big six-foot-seven man. I grew up in northeast Texas, and, you know, I remember when I started playing baseball. This is just a little window into just something God has had to fashion out of me. I was playing baseball, and I was just, we played t-ball when I was a kid. We played t-ball, and, and then you, you move up to your peers throwing the ball. We didn't have coach pitch, you know. Here, here, hit this. They let your peer, who had no practice doing this, throw a hard object in your direction. <laughs> and so I get up there. I'm thinking, they're going to hit me. It's gonna, they're going to hit me. I mean, they're going to hit me, you know, and I got up there, and the guy can't even throw in practice. I mean, much less with a person. I stood up there, big old guy throwing hard. Bam, hit me. I said, well, I quit. 
I'm done with that. I'm done. I mean, I'm finished with that. My dad, big six foot seven man, he's going to use reverse psychology. He came over to me and said, if you're going to act that way, boy, you go sit with your mom. I said, phenomenal. I'm in, I think, that's great. I mean, you get a snow cone up here. There's no hard objects being thrown around up here. Don't you wish we could sit behind the fence with the snow cone and we didn't have to face the hard objects? But we can't. We've got to learn how with God to work through the insecurity. So I'm going to give you four ways very quickly. I promise we just have a few more moments together and we're going to work through these fairly quickly. But four ways to live more securely. Right here at the campuses, I want you to, 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 to really cue in with me on this. Number one, you have to not put your security in anything that cannot sustain it. I'm talking about your successes. I mean, you can't put it in the new title manager. You can't put it in the new number in your 401k. You can't put it in the new position that you dreamed about. You can't put it, you know, I'm, I'm talking a lot about children and families and stuff, and you know what, they're, they're, they're such a great joy, but I'll tell you, children are a terrible place to put your identity because they'll really let you down. We can't put it in our children. We can't put it in our title. We can't put it in our position. We can't, we can't answer the who am I question with anything on the external. And I'm going to tell you, what I love about your church is, is it's like we believe God wants to come to us in such a way that we have a life-giving nature, that we influence any culture we go into because the kingdom of God goes into any place and the kingdom of God is expanding and we believe for great things and we have faith for God to move and we all believe that God works through us. But I want you to, I want you to be encouraged for some of you that are trusting God for some new place or some new step or some new position. If you get it, it will not deal with your insecurities. It actually can magnify them sometimes. Don't put your identity in your failures. Don't, don't put your, okay, you're not, because you went through a divorce, don't title yourself divorcee. Single moms, we have a lot of them in our church that we minister to and love on. And a lot of times, yes, churches haven't had the capability to receive someone that's coming from a broken background, but many times it's not what I've found is that it's not just the church, it's that the person is now identifying themselves that way. And what happens when you have insecurity, you either have pride and say, I'm gonna prove something, or you have rejection, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when people reject you. So, so, so single mom, divorcee, even your new revelation of God, free, or some new place with God. Don't find it in your latest revelation, your latest understanding. You can't put, what did, what did God tell Moses? As you go, Moses, look, you're going to have fear. You're going to face some variables. As your pastor wrote the book, follow the cloud. As you're following the cloud, Moses, put it in the great I am. I am who I am. The, the answer to the who am I question is not to keep digging in the question. The answer is to base your foundation upon the great I am. I'm going to get more practical as we go. Here's the second thing. The second thing is you've got to learn how to lean into your weaknesses to leverage more of God's strength. It's how you perceive your weaknesses. I love what the Apostle Paul says here, a powerful verse of Scripture where he says actually to us, I want to, I want to look at that passage of Scripture right there, pull it up. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Kind of adequate? No, sufficient. For you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the Apostle Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's, say, he's saying to us something that is opposite of our culture. Our culture says, give me a YouTube video, give me a self-help book. I'm not against anything positive. I'm not a prude as long as it doesn't violate the Bible. 
But I know some of you may not understand Jesus. Jesus is not into self-improvement. Jesus is into coming into our dead self in and of our own ability and making us alive in him and showing up in the area of our greatest weakness. What do I mean by that? So lean into it. So what I'm saying is the place of your pain may be the place in which he actually moves you into your purpose. What you see as a liability may be the very place he shows up the strongest. What you're viewing as a quirk, what you're looking at is something in your heritage or in your past as a negative, may be the place of the struggle has produced the praise place of strength. Where there is no struggle, there is no strength. And so where that struggle is, is a place where you come to the end of yourself and the power of Christ can be manifested in you. More practical, here it is. You've gotta submit your self-talk to the truth of God's word. You've gotta get the word of God in here. Here's where the battle is with insecurity, okay? That's where it's found. I played offensive line, okay, in football. I know we just had the World Cup, and some of y'all are in vogue, and you know about, you know, you call football, millions of people around the world call football something with a round ball, but since we're in Texas, praise God right here, we got football coming. Can I have an amen? Y'all know what I'm saying? Come on now. It's a brown ball. It's a brown pigskin ball, okay? And, and I never got to touch the ball. I never got to score a touchdown. I never made any headlines. But when I played on the line, I understood this. If I don't do my job, then the team doesn't win because the game's won on the front line of scrimmage right there in the trenches. When I coached my little league team in Keller, which we dominated, that's a different message. <laughs> in Keller. I would yell out to my boys, where's it won at? They say, in the trenches, coach. And I'm here to coach you up a little bit in the area of where the enemy wants to paralyze you in insecurity. You know where it's won at? The trenches of the warfare that goes on here is you applying the truth of God's word to that self-talk. You may have to get radical like me who's a little intuitive and has some fears. I have it on the back of my phone. I have it on the dash of my car. The word of God, the promises of God, I'll be with you. And so I have it in the dash. I have it on my mirror because you know what? If you're dealing with a lot of insecurity and anxiety and having trouble sleeping, you might have to up up the trench warfare just a touch. You might have to up it a notch. And you know what? If we spend as much time letting the word of God wash out and renew our minds by the washing of the water of the word as we spent on Instagram viewing everybody else's life. Come on now, I'm meddling a little bit now. We might not have so much anxiety. The truth of God's word, let it come in. Here's the fourth and final one right here. Here's the final one. You've got to focus more on what God's doing in you than what others say or think about you. And I'm not one of these. Look, I'm a pastor. I love people. I really do. I deeply love people. I'm not one of these, you know, hate the hater. The haters are going to hate. <laughs> Come on, man. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, it's, this is not some rogue, rebellious, I'm going to do whatever. No, no, no. But what I am saying is, the way you hear from God is through his word. It's never going to violate his word. His spirit speaks to you, and then you have godly counsel. Hopefully, you have a small group you're a part of, and you have some coaches and pastors and friends and people that really are going to take you to the word of God. But once you live a life to say, look, I'm not living to be famous. I'm living for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And when you live for that, it'll just anchor some security in you if you're worried about a decision. 
You say, God, I'm submitted to you and I'm doing this for you, Jesus. And then you, then you, you, you get some good counsel and you make sure it aligns with the word. And then you know what? You spend less time worrying about what everybody else is saying. And that'll make you move into that new transition, that new pressure or situation in a different way. It'll put a security down deep in your soul. Where that insecurity is trying to tear at your soul, it'll anchor it in a powerful way. I'm going to tell you a story and pray for you. You guys have your next steps here. In fact, when you come into your campuses, there's these words. It's on your, on your website. Take your next step. We share that with you. We love seeing people just take their next step. And so I was at our first step, our, our first one, step one. And, and, and I, I was there, and afterwards I was meeting all these precious people. And there was at the end of the line, as I was shaking hands and meeting people, there was, there was a 23-year-old girl. And this message that I'm sharing here at all the campuses of Valley Creek, I'd shared that weekend, and she was at the end of it, and I didn't know her exact age, but I could tell she was at that kind of stage of life, and phase of life, and, 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 and I got to the end, and, and she was very emotional. She said, Pastor, I, I got so much insecurity right now. And I said, well, well, what's going on? She said, well, I'm new to the faith. I've, I've really recently given my life to Christ. I don't have a lot of support in my family life, and I've just recently graduated from college and my, and my first few jobs haven't worked out. And so I've moved around and I've been in transition. And so I don't really even know exactly if I can get kind of planted in a, in a job where I can get some traction. So that's made me feel pretty insecure. And then she just went to another level that just gave me just compassion for her. She said, my, my best friend passed away and my boyfriend just recently broke off our engagement. I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I felt the compassion of God and I prayed for her and I looked her in the face and I said, I want you to know something. I'm proud of you, but more importantly, God's proud of you. God's proud of you. And she goes, really, really? I mean, it, it spoke to her in her soul. I said, and let me tell you why. You didn't just come to church. You're taking a step to engage with the church and there's so much around your life. You could have stayed paralyzed. You could have just been, just, just I'm, I'm not going anywhere based on that. And you could be moving away from God's plan, but you're moving toward who he's created you to be. You're answering the who am I question in a proper way. I drove away from church that day. I couldn't get her off my mind. And I just felt like God speaking to me saying, look, she's faced a lot of things all together, but that's where my children are, Jeff, in our culture today. There's so much coming at us, so much to feel insecure about, how we approach life. And what the enemy wants to do is paralyze you in that. And then get it to a place of deep anxiety that stops you from being who God's called you to be. I want to encourage you, you don't have to let that happen. You can move forward in what God has for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads at all the campuses and I'm going to pray for you. The first person I want to pray for is you say, Jeff, the, the, the first step, could you tell me what it is? The first step is surrender your life to Jesus. That's the first big step you take. Just saying, Jesus, I'm all in with you. Jesus, I, I know. There's some of you, you know you're not right with him. You say, Jesus, here I am. I commit myself to you. I believe you died for me, rose from the dead. Come into my life. Be my Jesus. Be real to me. Not just a religious figure. Be real. Come into my life, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. If you prayed that prayer with me at any campus, I'm going to ask you to let someone know. Let the people know. Come to our first step. Take your next step. Reach out. Engage. Because now you're a new follower of Christ, a baby, and we want to help you walk in all God's called you to be. But I want to pray for the next group of people. How many of you would just simply say, Pastor, 
God sent you here in this moment because I've been facing an, an undue level of insecurity and I just want you to pray for me as a sign of faith in a safe place where we're asking this question. Would you just lift your hand and say, I believe this message is really speaking to me. I've had some of those insecurities. Would you lift your hand anywhere at any campus? Just lift it up. I see your hands. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that Lord, you would solidify identities, not around ourselves, our failures, or even our successes, but Lord, you would come down deep into the soul of your people you would encourage, you would strengthen, and you'd move us forward where we spend less time so concerned about who am I and more anchored to you, God, the faithful, forever, trusted one we can count on. We anchor ourselves to the great I am. Lord, I'm asking you to go beyond my words and not just information, but an impartation of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Valley Creek.